man, one, two, three. There we go. <laughs> How many sync claps can I give you before one of them is Before one of them should probably be good. I'm going to have a whole line of claps, so it's just going to be great for me. Oh, perfect. All right, anyways, now we're here. Now we're ready. What up, y'all? How's it going? It's going great, man. Welcome back to the Music Currency Podcast, now with two cameras you may or may not recognize because they're so similar. And also, after a two-year freaking hiatus... <laughs> It's fine. We don't talk about that. It's important about being consistent. <laughs> but yeah, welcome back. We've got John Fuchinara. Hello. The legend. And we've also got Michael Rogers, the other legend, both with pierced ears. And of course, it's me, <laughs> Daniel, hosting the show. So, let's get going. How are you guys doing? All right. Doing good, man. It's been been a good time, good summer, getting back into the gig swing. We love it. What do you guys do and why are you here? I don't know if you know why you're here, but otherwise, what do you do? <laughs> uh, so, to, for some background on us, Michael and I have been uh, the, the dynamic duo of guitar and bass for about 10 years. Lord, it's true. And uh, we come as a package deal. That's why you couldn't just book one of us. <laughs> yeah, we've also been arguing for the past what ten years about who actually gets to play bass, and John keeps on winning out. So. Yeah, only because he keeps buying new basses. This is also true. <laughs> this is also, I tried to buy a bass, but still here I am. <laughs> well, freaking dope. So I met y'all. Must have been five six something like that years ago has it been that long almost i think so this before like, pre-covid yeah even? it was wow. pre-covid oh, i yeah. think right before yeah because we were doing dc gigs then wow so that was freaking time that was like up and up of the dc oh yeah i know it's freaking wild things have changed drastically but i met y'all doing doing those gigs and mm -hmm. then you're so dope that i was like of course you gotta be on this on this pod uh fun fact you're also writing the theme yeah. as we move along. Yeah. Don't worry, this episode's not coming out tomorrow. Okay. So, okay. Like <laughs> <laughs> so when we, but when we do hear it, it will have that Michael Rogers original touch. Yes. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You Can't write a full song, but if you want thirty seconds of good music, ah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've talked to you all about this podcast a bit, and really, it's just about kind of how you've made music your own and your experience as a musician. So we're just going to talk about like how you came to get to where you are today from like day one of like, what made you want to be a musician? Ooh. Like if we're going all the way back, I have been involved in some sort of extracurricular music from an extremely young age. Uh, if we're going all the way back to like kinder music, That's like all. being put in as a little, little tiny kid and getting that appreciation from the get go. Um, since then, uh, music through high school, uh, playing trombone, took that through college. Uh, don't play that as much anymore for a, a few reasons, not the least of which busting my jaw, breaking, breaking some bones and some teeth, but uh, being able to continue despite that uh, on bass and finding my, my home in music there. That's what's up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I had pretty much the exact same origin story as John, but I played the tuba. Uh, it's always the brass. Yeah, low <laughs> brass. Low brass is where it's at, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same reason I wanted to play bass. Super fun, super duper easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. That's what's up. Yeah. So, the thing that I've always kind of 
been pushing at and that I always like hearing is how you've managed to like actually survive because everyone's always talking about like well yes it's a hustle but then they're also talking about like you can't really live off of being a musician you can't like survive can't like what are you going to do as a musician teach at a school or only perform on stage um is that what you've also been doing because i know you said you went to you did undergrad i yeah i went through my undergrad uh and have a music education degree um Mm -hmm. and for a long time that was the goal and it was to get that degree get a job teaching and somehow try to manage teaching you know hopefully banned and uh my thought was middle school through high school and somewhere in that range and hopefully still be able to play i always thought it was weird when there were so many of like my classmates who you know were in music school and then for some reason kind of saw like performance as like this other thing Mm -hmm. like they were education students and they were going to be music educators but then didn't have like the same passion for performance and i was like why would you be an English teacher and not read books? Well, you know, is that, that was always kind of like weird to me. Um, and, you know, not to say that you know, they were unpassionate about it or, you know, would be lesser teachers for it. They are fantastic teachers. And I know that they are still finding their performance out there somewhere. But it always kind of occupied a little bit more of that space for me. And after graduation and dealing with the struggles of trying to get hired in a school in a, an extremely niche skill set, skill set and an even smaller, uh, you know, available pool of jobs with an ever-growing applicant pool. Like, it was discouraging and hard and tried to find different ways to make that work mm-hmm. and found some of that in doing, you know, private lessons or lessons through the studio, which had its own drawbacks, and uh, finding after-school programs, another thing that me and Michael were able to do together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it always came back to this idea of performance has to be there somewhere. Oh, yeah. And how how much I realized that deeply meant to me. That's right. Yeah, so I never made it through my undergrad. I dropped out after a couple of years and then started just teaching like freelance with the programs that John mentioned. One was Academy of Rock, which was a nonprofit after-school program. And then that lost its nonprofit status, and then it changed into Nebraska Music Academy. Mm-hmm. We both kind of saw Nebraska Music Academy off the ground for a little bit. And then did you went and teach over at Harris right away? Is that I I started teaching at Harris Academy of the Arts around twenty. Would have been like the end of twenty fifteen mm-hmm. or twenty sixteen, somewhere in that realm. Um, and yeah, it was at, at that same time because of a non-compete clause that I, <laughs> however much that might actually mean in the state of Nebraska. Um, if they're actually legal or not. Who, who, yeah. who could say? Who could really? Uh, but this is Harris Academy of the Arts. That business is not defunct. So yeah, that's, I feel pretty good about talking to trash. Yeah, and it's good. <laughs> it's, it's better. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of dovetailed out of the one into the other. Yeah. And, uh, but that was another thing, even with the uh, after after school program, the whole point of it was getting, you know, experienced musicians and get them working with kids mm-hmm. and who are putting together their own bands. And, you know, mom and dad don't want loud noises coming out of the basement, but hey, 
give them to us. Well, we love loud noise. We love this. Oh, yeah. And it, and it was in the same thing that brought me to music in the first place was that being inspired by performance oh, and okay. by that creation. And to pass that on to kids was always, you know, great. It always felt great. It's, yeah. it's funny. The, as soon as you said that, the first thing that came to my mind, School of Rock. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it's and pretty much exactly that. If, and because, you know, that... And, who doesn't love school of rock? I know. <laughs> and, and like that's that's what we got to do, and you know even if the kids didn't love that every day, mm -hmm. it they you know there are still enough times where they got to go perform and got to have that moment. And some of them, I you know both of us still have students that we had then that are out there killing it right now. That's still super doing, awesome. Yeah. Still either gigging on their own, doing the thing, or who have uh, you know found their own way to like lead others in this crazy, crazy musical thing. So that's super cool. I, I love that. And it's like, that's the thing again. And I, and I realized like, for those of you that have seen the first four episodes of this, it all, it somewhat seems like I'm kind of harping on music school, but it's not that I don't like music school, right? I think there's some value to it in some ways, but I think the thing that a lot of us as musicians, especially ones that have, whether we've been in it, dropped out, been in it, kept going, been in it, and just did a little bit of it, and moved on, we ended up not generally doing the exact thing that it set, it set people up to do. Absolutely. And, like, there's such a versatility in that, you know? And you can do so much cool stuff, right? And not necessarily have to be in music school. And I think <laughs> that's, that's the thing that I find coolest about it. Because it's like, what's, for instance, one thing that you've learned and done that you did learn from music school that is hugely been beneficial. <laughs> just one. Just one. <laughs> uh, one more. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I, dude, Michael, you, you fill in that question because they, they tried to teach me. Yeah. They couldn't teach you. Yeah, no, they couldn't, they couldn't handle me. <laughs> yeah. they, they really did try and teach me, but I just, there are some things I just can't learn. You learn from the streets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, one thing is just like gig management. You mm -hmm. know, like how to manage your time for a gig. That they kind of like touch on that a little bit in music school, but not not a ton. Like if you have a three hour gig, it probably shouldn't take you twelve hours to practice for the three hour gig. Yeah, you know, it should probably take you less than an hour and a half mm -hmm. to like fully prepare for that gig coming up because you're either familiar with the music or the music's like within your grasp enough, or you like especially like in the cover band stuff. Mm -hmm. How long does it take you guys to get ready for a week? Huh. <laughs> if I didn't 15, know all the music, minutes, yeah, half an something hour. like that, yeah. Yeah, like if you have... The you car know. ride to the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm great at practicing in the car. Uh, <laughs> super duper good at it. Same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on, a similar, on a similar track to that, but like uh, the actual like classes themselves, mm -hmm. you know, there's only so many times that I'm going to need to fully, you know, chart out this Baroque piece and, mm -hmm. you know have in all of my Roman numeral analysis of what's going on here. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, all the most useful stuff that I ever had in music school was just lessons. Mm -hmm. And luckily, there's enough, you know, that can be transferred over from instrument to instrument. Like, I, I, I still can play trombone. And uh, luckily, good practice technique on trombone is not too far from good practice technique on any other instrument mm -hmm. as long as you're taking the same mental approach to it. Oh, yeah. So 
and again, like an individual lesson talking to a professional musician turned out to be way more useful than sitting in a classroom and learning about the, you know, 18th century in Germany during Mm -hmm. musical history. Yeah. Here's your four parts of a fugue that you need to know. And that's the thing, too, because it's like that stuff is useful in its specific context. Of course. And, like, that's the big thing, I think, about, like, any music that you're doing. It's useful in its specific context. But if the context is 2023, 2024, just freaking the 21st century and you're looking at music from the 18th and 19th century, either you are performing exclusively music from the 18th or 19th century, or you probably need to figure out (laughs) how to apply that at best to what you're doing in the 21st century, at best. Like, those are your only real options. Mm -hmm. Not not to stay on the music school subject too long, but it was always such a hard juxtaposition of, you know, having this very rooted in 18th century theory and then having to go off to your jazz band rehearsal, <laughs> and then having to go off to your wind ensemble rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Like this, what I am learning and what I am physically doing are so far removed mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, I, I'm, if I'm a good enough student and a good enough study, I can make those synapses connect. Mm-hmm. But like, this is, this is an esoteric reach. Yeah, yeah, it's not so much trying to lead you to this. It's kind of forcing you to figure it out or get out. Yeah. <clears throat> And yeah. so I think that might just be education in general, but I mean, you know, you hey. know, I wouldn't be that far off from you with that. But, <laughs> but I think that's the other thing of why it's so useful for like people like us, and especially people like you who have like from the ground up kind of helped start music academies and things as well. Like being able to understand what is po- probably the most beneficial for these students, and what is it that they're going to take with them. I think of when I'm teaching lessons, I might waste time teaching concepts on how to build a chord and what cool stuff you can do with chords instead of just going page by page by page by page in a piano book. Because end of the day, if their parents or whoever's like, I want you to just play this song that you're, well, you're going to need to know the chords probably. And you can cheat through the rest of it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, again, teaching at the private music academy, you know, uh, some, sometimes you got lucky and had those kids that like really wanted to be there. Mm -hmm. And man, you could really do like the dive and oh, take yeah. them on where you need to go. And a lot of the kids that I think we were teaching at, like weirdly enough, uh, like, you know, uh, Academy of Rock and Nebraska Music Academy, those were majority of the kids that like really wanted to do it. Yeah. A few that weren't. Um, and, you know, there's always that kind of struggle. But man, my workload over at Harris got really lopsided that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Sometimes there are just you know, this is just something to do. This is yeah, just something to fill your time. There. They're not necessarily practicing. They're oh, not yeah. necessarily invested. And it takes so much effort to it's get so a kid much. that's not invested, barely invested even. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it, it's a hard fact of it. And it's also like the numbers thing. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's what, you know, to go back to the original point, like it's what you got to do oh, yeah. to, to survive doing this thing. 100%. And, you know, at least for me, if I couldn't find that traditional education route, Mm -hmm. then I was going to do something with it because there was so much of that need to share it with others. And I don't know, I don't know how much you've been able to keep up with it, but ever since like pandemic hit and I haven't really taught a lesson in uh, (laughs) X amount of time. Yeah. um, 
it really does kind of just like re-solidify for me like that importance of performance mm-hmm. and all of it. Yeah. And it is one of those places that we are lucky where we do get to perform fairly regularly, fairly often. Yeah. And uh, another like fun thing with us is that so much of it is together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice to have like your your stable crew that mm-hmm. you can like rely on people. One hundred percent. Your network, you know, that's something they don't teach you in music school. Mm-hmm. It's something that they tried to mention, but without like without real application. Yeah, I think it's I think it's like a do- a double problem. Like when you're in school and you're you know it's that forced relationship with everybody. Mm-hmm. You like that is your network. Yeah, and that's a super useful network. And how much of that you choose to keep up with afterwards can really affect things. Mm-hmm. Um, we just got lucky where we were able to find another network that was equally musical and equally successful that was, you know, only tangentially related to it. Yeah. Hmm. Because I think if we would have been like, you know, there's a real risk of getting stuck in a traditional thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. So like you're gigging, Mm -hmm. are you exclusively gigging? Like how, how is that even, what's that even look like? What's, what is really gigging in you guys' cases? Yeah, so I do, you know, do the wedding bands called Downtown Collective. We do weddings and events, divorces, the whole gig. <laughs> do you see? We need a, I want to be on a divorce gig, please. <laughs> I have a whole anti-wedding playlist. It's going to be the rich girl, Barracuda, <laughs> Jolene. Jolene. There's so many good ones that we just don't get a play. Because the message is on. Uh, you can't say she's a bitch at her <laughs> You scoundrel. What? <laughs> so so that's really nice. You know, those are like the high-paying gigs. Those are really nice. Those aren't like, it's not every weekend. It's mm-hmm. almost every weekend, but it's not like super consistent. Yeah. And then I also run an open mic night at the Storm Cellar on Wednesdays from 9 to midnight. Mm-hmm. And so that weekly gig is really, really nice. Mm-hmm. And then it's just kind of like filling in your missing spots throughout the day. Oh, yeah. Throughout the month, you know. You just look at your gig calendar and you'd be like, oh, I don't have a Friday there. I wonder if I can just like reach out to some people and see if I can get a gig that day or, or something. I've been pretty fortunate. I've had to like not reach out a lot, which mm-hmm. is good. People are like, hey, are you free this day? And then I get to give them a yes or no and all that good stuff. But yeah, so that's how I do it. And then I'll teach like the odd lesson here and mm-hmm. there, probably like four a month. Okay. You're also doing some extra bookkeeping work and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I also do the booking side of things. So I like talk okay. to my clients and everything, and I have a little bit of sales background. So that's easy for me because they it's a sales background that like you don't have to convince them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because they're wanting them. They reach out to us. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they were like, "Hey, are you guys available?" Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, we are. Yeah. You know, I. In one of our previous endeavors together, uh, one of the, the first band that Michael and I put together and were actively writing for was a band called Risky Click. Mm-hmm. And we were, um, you know, writing original music, hard thing to, you know, make any sort of career off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely our kind of way of just uh, skyrocketing ourselves into all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was our launch pad for everything, but... Um, I was doing not not all of the booking, but I was doing a solid amount of that booking. Yeah. 95, 96, 98, 99% of it. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do booking yeah, and really mm-hmm. for you know something not like the wedding. And it's it's something that uh, in, in the country band that Michael and I play in together, uh, Jake Clefcorn plus band, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's one of those things that I'm so thankful that we don't have to do a lot of 
because it is it's hard to go out there and contact a bar or mm-hmm. a you know a a dance hall or Same a venue, street yeah. street party and say hey pay me what I'm worth <laughs> yeah. pay us what we need in order to get you a band here oh yeah and first off for there to be a budget for that for there to be a desire for that and for them to believe you when you say we're good mm-hmm. and we will provide an entertaining night is hard yeah and you know with uh with a wedding band it's one thing because they're coming to you mm-hmm. with the country band in nebraska it's another because you know most people are down for that as long as you know the front man is charming and has a good accent That's which right. luckily man we nailed that yeah yeah Jake is Whew. beautiful human being <laughs> yeah very beautiful <laughs> uh, but it's it makes that job a little bit easier and again I'm thankful I don't have to be the one doing it mm-hmm. and you know to have someone who's up in front with you know the gumption to say like no if you want me to get five guys down here with you know to clear their Friday or Saturday night and to, to play music here when they could be doing literally anything else yeah yeah sorry that costs two grand yeah and uh, you know Again, appreciating the guys that we have in our network who are able to say, like, no, we are worth this. Mm-hmm. This is what's necessary. This is what we need. And then to have the actual musical ability to back that up. 100%. And you know what's funny? <clears throat> as I think about that, the thing that I find real interesting is figuring out even solo, even, what you're worth and what you're willing to do for what amount. I I know for me, it's been something where I've <clears throat> I realized if it's a gig you really, really, really like, eh, you don't necessarily care as much about whether or not it pays real well. You still would like it to. <laughs> oh, yeah. And especially the, the more you're like, you know, the hassle of maybe learning this music to get ready for this, if it's a short turnaround or whatever sometimes or whatever the case may be. And it's like, I still need to know what it is I'm worth, what it is these things like are supposed to go for, and also being willing to be like, that's what it is. Like I, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. What what is that price for you? For if, if, if what's your threshold? <clears throat> like let's say like it's a uh, <clears throat> say it's like a like a church ceremony thing, like, mm-hmm. like a, a funeral, and yeah. they need they need a singer. You know, it's funny. I actually, I think for me, I I go about it a few different ways. Um, for like a church ceremony thing depending on what it is, because like, you know, I still go to church and I'm like in that scene already just like as an attendee. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes I'm not getting paid to even to lead music at my church. I'm going, to other, <laughs> I'm going to other churches. And so for that, it kind of boils down to a couple things. One of which is, do I like like just the environment there and the people there and like the music that they're making? Um, funnily enough, if I go to First Plymouth, it's depending on what it is, it may be 150, 300, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Depending on what it is, depending on if I'm soloing, depending on if I'm leading, depending, tons of different things. Is that per service or just uh, per just the Sunday. Just the Sunday. <clears throat> yeah. And so, like, generally for me, I'm okay with that. And the way that I've broken it down is one: Am I learning a lot of music? Generally, no. Two: Is this music that's actually challenging for me to actually have to go through? Generally, no. But also, the reason it's not is. I've trained to be able to learn music quickly, right? I have these skill sets that I've developed. And so <clears throat> if you want the quality of service that I'm providing in the time frame that you're looking at and you want to trust that I can do it, like trust that I can do it because like I can prove it to you, but like 
this is what it's going to be. You know, it's somewhere around there. If I'm talking about my hourly general rate for something, I'm saying like somewhere between 50 and 80 an hour. Yeah. Right. Like it's, <clears throat> and it's, it's taken a while for me to get to that point, you know, Definitely. and to figure out and decide. I think the thing that's helped me the most that I think every musician should think about strongly is itemizing kind of what their skills are and codifying clearly what it is that they put to the table and what they've learned, what they've built up. Like I have two degrees, just about a third degree in music, right? I <laughs> like, and regardless of whether or not I need my degree for like my actual professional endeavors, which arguably <laughs> didn't need any of them for it, but, <laughs> but I figured out how to make them contribute. And so like, I still value what I've learned so far and what I've force the school to provide me at times, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But, like, I know the value of these things, mm -hmm. and I know that because I've learned these certain things or because I've gone through this, you're not going to just get this from any person you found on the street, right? Yeah. And then I know what skill sets I've got, like improvisation in the way that I improvise, the ability to work with other people, the all this sort of stuff. These are all codifiable things that you can clearly state and show and be like, if you want someone that's able to just sing whatever song you want them to sing, I'm your guy. I'll sing whatever you want me to sing. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if it's jazz. It doesn't matter if it's classical. And I'll do well. But that's a price. <laughs> Even yeah. here in Nebraska, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what about y'all? 150 is about a minimum mm -hmm. these days. 100%. Um, like, and that's... Show up to the gig. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 150 to show up to the gig. And that's like, you know, it, it's... It's harder now uh, in, in our relationship since mm -hmm. uh, you moved up to Omaha and yeah. I'm, I'm in Lincoln. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, and a lot of the gigs, Downtown Collective, very nicely split for the yes. most part. Lincoln, uh, Omaha, other places, yeah. The, uh, the country band, very lopsided mm -hmm. on Lincoln area gigs. Yeah. Uh, so it's harder for me to say it. I think Jake typically does a good job of trying to shoe a little bit more your way if you're driving a little bit longer. Yeah, he always offers, but I never... Yeah. It's very, but that's, but that's good consideration. And again, yes. you know, somebody yeah. who knows worth and is constantly trying to give that, yes. which is so necessary. Reinforcing that value is a huge mm -hmm. thing. But yeah, 150 is about a minimum and that's for in town, easy gig. Mm -hmm. I'm not learning a crazy amount and yeah. I, you know, and it's, and it's going to be fun. Exactly. That, that too, because like, if it's not fun, 150 all of a sudden is like, okay, well, I could have been doing even if I'm doing nothing, <laughs> it would be more fun yeah. than making 150 for the m amount of stress sometimes, which is a huge, like, think of those projects that we've all done <laughs> that took way longer than they should have. They ended up being way less interesting than we thought they might be. Something that should have been like a half hour, an hour, maybe a couple even. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're taking more time you might have to do like another day or something, whether to rehearse or you have to rehearse before for a song. You're like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or an extra five years exactly. in a project. Right. Fine. Any of those things like <laughs> immediately you're like, I, I've realized that like I felt it for the things that I, it re it kind of focuses you in on saying like, what is actually my priority? What do I actually like doing? What would I willing be willing to do for free? And this isn't it. Okay, let me just say that and be okay with that. And there's so many things that you can be okay with doing for free. Mm -hmm. you know, some guys make that distinction between like gigging versus jobbing. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, for some folks, like, you know, doing the wedding band thing or hopping in the country yeah. band thing, that's, you know, that's jobbing. Yeah. And they do that so they can do, go do their, their gig they mm-hmm. want to do. That's not going to make them as much money. My brother, my brother right now is a recent graduate with his uh, graduate degree from UMKC. He's oh, on, yeah. he's on tour right now. He plays horn, yeah. Uh, saxophone, sax. Yeah. Right. Uh, he uh, he came from North Texas in the one o'clock big band mm-hmm. on tenor and got his uh, grad degree and now he's touring. He's in Chicago tonight. He'll be playing at the Jewel on Thursday. Oh, that's right. So come out to the Jewel on Thursday, boys. Oh, it's gonna be a blast. Um, and you know he's he's not gonna make any considerable money on this tour, mm-hmm. but he is going to make money from the lessons he's teaching mm-hmm. from the, uh, musicals that he's yeah. doing. I think he did gypsy oh, uh, oh. down in KC. Yeah. Um, and you know, he's got a lot of other, those irons of the fire, but it's that constant, like mm-hmm. constantly working. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my case, like I, I didn't and still don't love country music, mm-hmm. but I like playing those gigs. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I like playing music. Yeah. And performing is fun. Mm-hmm. And if I can get paid to perform fun music with people that I like, that's going to make everything great. 100%. The wedding band is fun because it is, honestly, I love pop music. Right. I tried to not like pop music for a <laughs> long time. And then I heard my grandma say once, uh, that she didn't like Ella Fitzgerald because she didn't like that pop stuff. And I was like, way to shut off so much. And I'm sure there were other reasons for that. But at the same time, like, like I, well, that would be horrible. Mm-hmm. And like, there's so much good out there. I would yeah. rather just listen to it, enjoy it, and then get to play some of that stuff. That's mm-hmm. just fun. And then do it with people that you like. That's just fun. It's a trifecta. Oh, and yeah. then get paid. Boom. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's the trifecta. Yeah, you you normally have to pick two with good pay, good music, good hang. And when you can for somehow like Put all three together. And even if there's some duds in there, <laughs> like whatever. Mm-hmm. Like to oh, yeah. to get anywhere in that majority is huge. Oh yeah. I it's it's freaking dope to be able to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is with DC especially too, and like any of these gigs that are really dope and fun. For me, one of the things I love the most about being in that sort of environment is letting the music breathe, right? Like, we're able to throw together, like, we'll do whatever song you want, like, for DC, and that'll be, it'll be cool. One, we're generally choosing good songs, <laughs> right? Which already helps a ton. Like, 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10 good songs. The, the good and fun wedding, like, just pop songs, whatever, we're doing those tunes. And those are a good time. They stand. That's the thing that I love finding and hearing and seeing, because I'm like... Yeah, I personally, I like all music too. There's some pop music where I'm like, okay, this is just kind of boring for me. Mm-hmm. Which you're going to find in every every style. So being able to do the ones that are dope and then putting our own kind of t- DC touch on it and whatever group touch, it's so fun. And it's very different from what a lot of other groups kind of find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a different vibe. My brother filled in with us on my sister's wedding, mm-hmm. actually. And, you know, he was gigging down in Dallas around mm-hmm. that time. And so came up and played with us. And even he felt it at that moment. He mm-hmm. was like, you guys have something different. 100%. Like, this is this is not like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm not getting paid the same as what I would get paid for one of these Dallas gigs, yeah. I, I get this. Yeah. This makes sense. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's great. It's a good time to be able to do mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think of even kind of talking about that limit, the the lessons thing is one one area that I really realized it. Because if you're gonna get paid for lessons, let's say it's a hundred bucks a month for, for a lesson. 
what for lessons if you're doing four or five or whatever. You're getting that for lessons. Well, I guess that's me because I was working by myself for myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, that's all going to yeah. you. That's fine. It way better that way. <laughs> way. Per half hour. So it's like nothing, right? Fine. And so you're you're doing that. You're getting paid for that. But you're working with the students that aren't necessarily trying to put in the work. And these lessons, you're just like, man, I would love to put in all this energy and effort. And I would love to see you actually use it and do something. 100 bucks ain't nothing. 150 ain't nothing. You're like, this is great. If, on the other hand, you're doing those lessons, even if you sometimes are getting paid more, you're just like, I would rather not do this lesson. Like, <laughs> and you start realizing it when students just kind of leave and then they don't come back and you're like, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, there was one kid that I, I wasn't like trying to make him quit because that's that would be horrible. Yes, that would be. But you weren't trying to make him sign up. I wasn't trying to keep him. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh my god, and the, I I got I have a few of those. At the same time, though, man, it, it takes one student to go do something dope, and then you feel incredible about it. One hundred percent. It like wipes like twenty five of those other students. Off the board. <laughs> Dude, Cole Kempke was one of my students. Yeah, I've got the, I've got the coolest like young guitar player like under you know my tutelage. <laughs> yeah. You know, even if that was like almost ten years ago, whatever, <laughs> I don't care. That's that's in my cap. Oh yeah. Do you ever wonder like? If you can trace your ancestry of like, you know, did you take lessons as a younger kid? Yes, I did. Yeah, do you take lessons? as a I younger did kid? not really. Not really. I did some. Some. Not much. I've always wanted that, but like, who was the teacher that taught my teacher? Oh yeah. Who was their teacher? Yeah. Who was their teacher? I love that. Like thinking about like the legacy of mm -hmm. all those different teachers. It's so cool. Like it makes me think of my one guitar teacher back yeah. when I was in like third fourth grade or something like that yeah back when i was too good to play notes and yeah. <laughs> man i you're never too good to play notes no <laughs> chords only oh i was 100 percent chords and tabs only. chords and chords and tabs uh, only. Ain't yeah. nothing wrong with no chords and tabs <laughs> no, let me just say tabs, tabs is a wonderful invention people <laughs> some people one. some people are anti-tabs i used to be anti-tabs i love tabs oh, i am man. hella pro tabs Hello, pro tabs. I pay for guitar. Pro tabs are not tabs. No. <laughs> no. Dude, like anything though, whatever. Like it's one of those things. And th this is something. Let me connect one thing that mm -hmm. I learned from music school that I will use and relate every day. And it came from my special education class, mm. music and special education, taught by Rhonda Fuelberth. That it is okay to use multiple methods of teaching Boom. and multiple learning ways. Yes, I. 100% down with it. I 100%. used to try to fight it, and then I looked at myself in the mirror and realized, like, dude, where would you be with if you didn't use some tabs? If oh, you didn't yeah. start learning by playing rock band. Yeah, something. like, where would you be right now if you didn't YouTube somebody playing a song and looking mm -hmm. at where their fingers are to see where it happens? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, it is okay to have learned multiple methods of learning mm -hmm. and whatever whatever is going to get you, hook you, and keep you. Then mm -hmm. it's fine. And I mean, at the end of the day, the more you're invested, the more you're going to look at other methods to be more yes. efficient at what you're trying to do. Yeah, eventually you hit that that peak, of, you hit flow, and you hit that discovery where it's just like, well, I can do this now. What can't I do? I want to do, so let me try to do. Oh, I need to figure something else out. Mm -hmm. Now your brain's making connections, and now yeah. you're... Now you're creating. It's the reason why, like, so many good guitarists, well, anyone really, will eventually, the more and more they get into it, even if they didn't start learning it, let's say they're guitarists or pianists, and they started only learning chords, 
all of them always go to learn scales and wacky scale theory at some point and soloing and all this sort of stuff. Oh yeah. They'll always do it because you've hit that, like you said, the flow and you're trying to really grow and learn what you don't know, even if maybe it was more efficient to learn it one way, but it wasn't for you at that time. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't take it then, well, now you can take it. I found a, a, a real joy in uh, teaching adults mm. for basically that exact way. Uh, I ended up with a, a wide array of adult students from just like over 18, like 20 years old or whatever, mm. all the way up to, I was at one point te teaching an 86-year-old man. That's right. And like, yeah, dude couldn't get his hand turned all the way over to play mm. guitar. Like his range of motion stopped about here. Mm. So, you know, like we're doing whatever we can. And the, the guy just took lessons to talk. <laughs> like he didn't have family that lived nearby. So this was his way to like get out for an hour and oh, talk, yeah. talk with a human. And you know what? I was down to help Tom Spilker with it. You know, my, my man. <laughs> yeah. I love him. My man, Tom. Great guy. But like, you know, anything that would pique his interest, like that became what we would stick with. Yeah. And it like when you work with adults, they are, they'll let you know what is actually like, hey, this is working. Mm -hmm. Because they, you know, it, it's hard. It might be harder to teach adults because yeah. of some lack of brain elasticity or whatever. Yeah. But like knowing what they like, what they want and being able to verbalize that. Yes. Really made a huge difference. Yeah. And even if that really just meant like, I want to be able to talk with somebody who understands this more than me and try to just glean what I can from that. I meant 100%. My favorite age was like a 16 year old. Like, yeah. Someone who got past like the initial hurdle of yeah. what, the, what I'm doing, yeah. who has finally realized like, I love this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those were, those were the special ones. Those were always really good. What forever they're lacking in technical ability, they're hundred percent making up for in just passion. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what that's what uh, histrionic, like histrionics yeah. was entirely just like teenage passion for mm -hmm. music. Don't have to be good, just have to be rad. You don't have to be good to be awesome. <laughs> to be awesome. <laughs> like I, I, I firmly believe that, and these kids were not spectacular. Like, as far as, like, what they were writing, but it didn't matter because the music was awesome. And oh, you yeah. heard it, and you felt it, and it was visceral and raw, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. And all of them are doing dope shit now. That's, that's so cool. That's super, super fun. All right, we're so teaching, we're talking a lot about teaching. We really are, it, and that's hilarious. It's, it's, so, <laughs> it's, it's so, like, unavoidable in a way. It really kind of is. It's, well, because that's how you, like, you know, make the next generation of mm -hmm. musicians. Somebody has to teach you, like, mm -hmm. some things. Oh, yeah. And I and I feel like if if not like teaching in a traditional sense, then mentorship in yes. some way, shape, or form yeah. is always such a huge part of like what you do with music in your life. I think mentorship one hundred percent. Yeah, you will one hundred percent like if you stick with it long enough, you will in some way, shape, or form end up mentoring someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at, at whether or not that is purely for survival in this to mm -hmm. make to make money, or if it's. Like, just, like, like what we're doing now, in a way. Mm, yeah. And just, like, like this conversation is the same as, like, the you know, conversations I would have in lessons with people, mm -hmm. whether I was taking or giving them. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and that's, we know it because we've gone through it. You yeah. Know? But, like, it's it's really, like, the most important kind of in, interaction you can have with another musician is that kind of mentorship collaboration. Commiseration. Like, because, <laughs> because we're just, you're really working together for that goal. And the thing that I really... Just trauma bonding. Exactly. No joking. Right. <laughs> you're like, oh my God, this thing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, this case the worst. 
you guys remember <laughs> that was the worst? Yes. I'm throwing yes, beer bottles at 100%. But, like, when you're doing that sort of work together, like, that's where what the music's really all about. That's what it is that we're really trying to get at. And that's what's so raw about it, too, because you're immediately connecting together on that front. And I think taking it to that mentorship, teaching whatever kind of side of things, too, it's like, what is really the most beneficial? What is it that we're really trying to do at the end of the day? You know, it's easy to lose sight, and this is why I always go back to the music school thing, because it's easy to lose sight when you're just slogging through, doing a lot of stuff, and you're not necessarily sure where everything's going, and you yourself know it's not the same feeling you had when you were 16, and like, this is rad, all my heart and life goes into this. As you go, I mean, even outside of music school, sometimes you're like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you're like, what is going on this kind of, maybe not sucks, but it's it's hard, you know? You know, to, to keep us on our format here, mm-hmm. you're going to love this, you're going <laughs> to love this transition. Um, you know, it's it's the, it's the finding that balance, and it's, I don't necessarily fully buy into gigging versus jobbing, mm-hmm. but it is finding that balance of what is going to help you get through to next week, yeah. and then still finding, like, what is going to either scratch that creative itch or that performance itch or whatever whatever it is that got you going in the first place. 100%. And, you know, while we do, uh, you know, plenty of gigs with Downtown Collective and the Country Band and even are getting back into our writing mm-hmm. uh, thing with the, the Country Band, um, like we just got to uh, record a new single and hopefully awesome. have that coming out soon. It sounds awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah, and like, uh, if, if you don't like country band, you'll love this. Oh, nice. I think you'll really like it. And a lot of that is thanks to Mr. Michael yeah. Rogers' incredible songwriting and production. Yeah, love it. <laughs> and uh, that, that's part of that passion and what we initially started doing together, writing music together. It still kind of manifests in this little little project, oh, you sit, project? sitting on the back burner. So and just, uh, what is it? <laughs> Do <just> tell. Uh, yeah, so we, I was driving home one night, and I got stopped at a train track, and the lights were flashing. The gate was not down, but the lights were flashing. <laughs> Post-gate, naturally. Post-gate, right? yeah. Oh, so this is like 2, 2.30 in the morning. Oh, man. So I'm super tired. And, you know, you get up to the like, train tracks, and you're like, the lights are flashing. Don't go. Right? They told me. us that. <laughs> they always teach you. I saw a schoolhouse rock episode. I saw about the specific train tracks. Don't cross the train tracks. You can hear it, though, right? Oh, yeah. Song writes itself. And so I was sat there for probably like 10, 15 minutes. I get this. No trains are coming. Not a single one. Was there, to still was there anyone coming the other direction or behind you? No. No. I was, <laughs> there was nobody else to help me make this decision of oh, like, man. do I go or do I, should I stay here? <laughs> so it was just me. And then all of a sudden this guy in a truck comes over and he gets up onto this light pole that's by this train track and turns the light on. <laughs> so now the lights are no longer flashing. He gives me a little thumbs up. I gave him a little... I drive up. I'm telling John this story, and he, and he was like, "What truck was this?" And I was like, "I don't know. It was like the business company truck, you know, it had the logo on there." And he's like, "Wow, the business company." And I was like, "Yeah, the business company incorporated," and then it spawned this whole side project. This oh. this whole side project that comes from just a hilarious slip of 
trying to figure out what this would have been called, um, has spawned this idea of uh, a full-scale musical production uh, (laughs) called The Business Company Incorporated. Oh, I love it. And it is a a parody, satire, a comedy? Uh, Rock opera. Rock opera. Love it. Um, Following uh, our protagonist, the company man, (laughs) as he uh, ascends through the company from working the factory floor all the way to overthrowing the evil CEO. Oh, man. And in turn becoming evil himself <laughs> as he falls victim to capitalism. Uh, or maybe he doesn't. Or maybe. Who knows? Who knows? It hasn't been written yet. You could write this story. You listen to See, this is, this is one horrifying thing, though, Michael. We are now speaking this into existence on a third, a neutral third party's platform. True. With cameras. You said neutral third party? You know I'm in on this. <laughs> but. We're truly speaking it into existence, and this yeah. will be released. So yeah. now that does put the the fire back on. Time. Whether it's a musical, whether it's a concept album, whether it's like a one-off gig, oh. it will happen. Yeah, and I will be there. Yeah. It's gonna be great. Yeah, it, just the the whole concept of this. I, I think like if you were to boil down like what music you and I create together, it yeah. ends up being funk adjacent. Funk adjacent. <laughs> yeah, it's very very. Very fun taste. And and one of the things that we always did whenever we wrote music is that we would throw in just enough of what we might call, I don't know, music school pizzazz. Uh, (laughs) So, like, if you went to music school, you were like... It's not just your basic one five four. Yeah, what these boys doing here? And whether that was accidentally writing something in seven or um, incorporating... I, <laughs> I brought this riff to rehearsal and I was like, turn it back, guys. And somebody was like, it's in seven. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, it is. And so I'm like, oh, okay, let's count it. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, you guys are right. So, <laughs> and then we took at least a full like hour-long rehearsal just learning how to play it. Oh, oh learning yeah, how to seven. play in seven. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it was great. Yeah. Um, taking uh, taking uh, Firebird and turning uh, the... Uh, no, no, uh, Ride of Spring, oh, okay. and taking taking the, uh, the the first movement of Ride of Spring oh, uh, bassoon solo, oh, and man. turning that into a funk jam, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, or uh, in in the BCI uh, making uh, a, a twelve tone song. Yeah, yeah, we have a song that goes through all that still that still funks no. and still rocks. Yeah, still, yeah, still funks, funks hard. Love it. And like, it, and it's all just these little things, and it's that that little bit of you know, flavor and passion that keeps us interested, whatever keeps you interested. And, mm-hmm. you know, for us, it kind of turned into like, what, what musical concept can I do that will get someone's reaction? <laughs> yeah. And like, I, you know, it's like, Oh, anybody who gets this is going to laugh. That's, yeah. oh, I love that so much. It's one of the things that I love the most about whenever I hear about or see like classical crossover pieces or things that are like, I took this classical, like a Mozart sonata, and now it's a jazz combo. And you're like, freaking Yeah. <laughs> or like any reharmonization of a tune. It's like, mm-hmm. that's cool. And that then that shows a little bit of, you know, education. Yes. And, you know, there are some things that, like, really overdo it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there is, like, that type of jazz that's, like, a little mm-hmm. too academic. Mm-hmm. It's a little too out there. Or oh, same yeah. thing with, like, classical composition. Yeah. But... Making making it like the type of music that you would normally listen and dance to, mm-hmm. throwing in something weird, yeah, and and you know I think like if you really thought about it, you could theory out to like what that taste is, and it wouldn't be like too hard. 
But at the end of the day, it's just there for our our own kicks. One hundred percent, and I love it so much. That's something my therapist told me to start doing. Was like, she's like, so you're a professional musician. Do you ever like listen to music just for you? Mm-hmm. You know, or like, is there something that you do that's purely like your own passion project? And it's mm-hmm. like no outside influence. It's just something that you want to do, mm-hmm. and that's like that's the the BCI. It's like that one project because mm-hmm. it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't have anybody telling me like, well, it's all country enough for it. Like, oh no, it's our solo. It's not this or something. It's oh, just yeah. something that I want to do. And then, like, yeah, changing it up like that. It's like a potter, like, leaving a thumbprint. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, And, like, yeah, sure, you could say, like, oh, that's part of the handle dip or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's a potter's thumbprint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And being so straightforward like that. That's the that's the huge thing. Like, yeah. you don't have to theory out and go so deep into, like, well, what's this and what's this? And like, no, no, no. Sometimes it's just straightforward and simple. Yeah. And it was just cool. It was dope. Mm-hmm. It was, thought it sounded weird so exactly <laughs> and, and like that's not even to say that all of it's like super out there or mm-hmm. by any stretch like some of it's just like we're just gonna make a straightforward funk jam on this we're mm-hmm. gonna make just like what's the what's the fastest one minute long rock song that we can <laughs> jam into this and pulling inspiration from just like whatever is you know floating your boat those days like one of the tunes uh, is built off of the Marvel Cinematic Universe soundtrack oh, yeah. formula, <laughs> yeah. and it uses the superhero cadence, oh, yeah. and it's sort of, and it's just like, no one bought, no one would care to know that fact, but mm. you hear it, and you're like, that does sound triumphant, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, and you hear it, and you're just like, oh yeah, yeah. you do sound a little bit talking, like, oh yeah, <laughs> or in the mood, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and the character a little like, yeah, chest, so mm-hmm. just him being. Yeah, and the just the weird places for inspiration from it. My my one of the tunes that I kind of spearheaded on it was um, a love for uh, from from around the Lincoln area, the band of Ferocious Jungle Cat. Mm. Oh yeah, love love hearing them play and love going and dancing just to you know just dance the night away, listen to some crazy funk. So one of the tunes on that just started as like a tribute to them. (laughs) And then just grew into uh, you know how does this fit into the story and what <laughs> and what can we say to make this funny and what can we what can we pull in to make this still kind of fit the overall vibe. It's 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 fun to do that and it's fun just to find you know what will inspire you and it's kind of weird how there are some of those projects that you spend so much effort mm-hmm. on. And you're trying so hard to make this one thing sound good. There's a few songs like mm-hmm. in Risky Click that man we worked on for months, yeah. years, and tried to make them something interesting and good. And play them like twice. And yeah. play them like twice if we played them at all. Yeah. And like they, you know, they never lived up to all that work and effort. Mm-hmm. And then it's those songs and concepts that are like a throwaway gag between friends that end up like being the dopest. That this yeah. have this extra sticking power to them. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah. And, and it's I don't know if that's just like the passion behind them, or if those ideas were just better in the first place. Who's to say? But I mean, it's it's still dope that we're able to get to that point of finding those things, you know. And that's why I always say like it's what it's all about, you know. Like if you can find how to make the music yours, how to do something that like really pulls you into that space of when you were a kid and when you were whenever, like so into it, so much passion, so much love for this knowing that it just needed to be your life. Like, when you're finding those things, that's when 
who cares? It's so dope. <laughs> yeah, and that's the best thing about this. Like, right now, all of this music exists on a Dropbox folder that we have. Yeah, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, we can breathe as much life into it. As yeah, and, like, and, kind of want, and every time we think about it and talk about it, like, it kind of just, like, stirs up all those feelings again. And I'm just like... <laughs> Like I go home and I play sharks and sheep, <laughs> or like, or I I, my, uh, I listen to the uh, what was it? Is it marketing that has the yeah yeah it's the uh, it's it's based off of the, uh, the the old Ginyu Force theme song from Dragon Ball Z. Like, this doesn't have to be anything serious, but for whatever reason, man, it just hits us so right. Oh yeah. And it's the, the that little thing that like we can like play something of it like in like our regular gigs like play the BCI the do 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 and just like do like we make that that's super dope. All right, y'all. Well, I'm assuming this is close to an hour already. Hot damn. Probably has. I know. It's freaking wild. And I'm not trying to make this podcast increasingly longer because <laughs> I accidentally have already. So let's see if we get in the So the curtain rises <laughs> and we start with the exact ripoff of the of the opera house auction <laughs> for the band of the opera, but it's a but it's a business liquidation sale. A business liquidation sale. Just a bunch of chairs. Bunch, bunch of, of chairs, <laughs> tables. There is still the monkey. <laughs> yeah. What's the monkey mean? We won't actually say. <laughs> that's what, their and that's what makes it satire. <laughs> Chekhov's monkey. Chekhov's oh, monkey. Oh, man. But yeah, that's. I'm super stoked for when this actually happens. And I've already injected myself, as we know, into making sure this really happens. Before we go, what role do you want? Oh, I don't know. playing company. Oh, I can see the company man. I'll do it. I do. I still want to cast Christian Cardona as the CEO. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> we, we honestly do need some help with this. So, like, yes. you know, a playwright or <laughs> you have any experience writing, like, lyrics <laughs> to songs at all? Zero experience? If you just want to give it a shot? If you want to sit down with us for, like, two hours while we tell you, we just, like, word vomit on you <laughs> what we think this story looks like and then somehow sift through it, yeah. that'd be awesome. That and then so you weird. deal with it. <laughs> and then you deal with it. Because that's as far as we can go. Oh my goodness! We'll, like, uh, we'll perform. We'll perform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh man, have to bands on stage. We'll do that. Co-direct. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Anyways, that's your invitation. Find out how to how to do that. But yeah, so I think that's about it. That was that was dope. Y'all are dope and thanks, man. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, catch up again sometime soon. Love it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dope on three. One, two, three. Dope, dope. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were dropping the eight. <laughs> I was just having that.